Hello, and welcome to this new podcast called Performing Arts with a Cup of Tea, where we will be discussing all things related to performing arts and education over a nice cup of tea. So we hope you enjoy, but first of all, make sure you have the kettle on. In today's episode, we're joined by Tara Tierney, a graduate of Queen's University Belfast who studied drama and English. Tara has previously worked as a stage manager for school productions, a drama facilitator for youngsters, and currently works within the education setting. Tara is going to talk about her experience and give us an insight into her studies at Queen's University and provide some insight into what pupils can be doing now during lockdown in order to gain the most out of performing arts. We're also joined by Michelle Courtney, a librarian branch manager with over eight years experience. Michelle will be telling us what she's currently reading and recommendations for the younger readers out there. Hello, Tara, and welcome to the podcast today. Hello, John. Thank you very much for having me. How are you doing today, Tara? I'm doing fine. How are you doing yourself? Good. I'm looking forward to getting stuck into uh, learning more about your education at Queen's University and your opinion of drama today, especially in the wake of COVID-19 and everything that's going on at the moment. So can't wait to get stuck into that conversation. I'm sure it's going to be riveting. Riveting is the word of the day. So that's it. Tara, for all our listeners out there, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself in terms of how you're linked to performing arts and um, how you've got to where you are today? Um, basically, I um, always had an interest in drama and theatre and I studied English and drama at Queen's University. And then I suppose how I ended up where I am today is that I started a drama club and then I got a permanent post there as a study hall supervisor and the drama club is still going strong. Very good. So in terms of then your experience of studying drama at Queen's, I know that there's a lot of students at the moment who will be thinking about their applications next year and they're trying to decide you know, for those students that are interested in performing arts, they want to know what route should they go down. They don't know whether they should maybe look at a conservatoire or maybe a more academic route in terms of university or maybe a vocational route. But what was your experience like? What kind of things did you cover? We covered actually quite a lot. You studied um, sort of the history of drama. There was a very interesting module that was about... Um, it actually linked in very handily with English because we were studying Renaissance and Romanticism in poetry and we were studying the Renaissance and Romanticism in in drama at, at around the same time. So they linked into each other. So you were studying things like Commedia dell'Arte and um, classical French theatre as well as um, Kabuki theatre in Japan and the history of passion plays. Uh, we did a very interesting subject 
or a very interesting module that was modernism. So it sounds like in terms of the knowledge gained, there was a, there was a breadth of knowledge in terms of different things that you covered in different eras that, in terms of drama. But what about some of the key takeaway experiences from drama at Queen's University for any of those students who are thinking of going down the pathway of either a joint kind of degree or that straight drama? What skills did you learn? Um, well, I would say key importance would be to sign yourself up to the Queen's University players. Um, that really you don't have to study drama to be in the Queen's players. Um, that's just the sort of the student theatre group and it's very, very good to be a part of. Um, it was good sort of teamwork. You know, you, you have to, especially there was a module called Making Theatre, which essentially just put you into teams and you select a play and you make a play. You just make theatre from the ground up. You're given a rehearsal space and you come up with a schedule and you just put a play on. And that was very good. It just sort of throws you into the practical element of it. Okay. And then like out of that kind of practical experience, what kind of skills did you then take away that maybe at the start of the course you felt, mm, I, don't have a mu- I don't have much experience in that area or I'd like to develop that. What did you actually then take away from that at the end of your degree? Um, I would say just the importance of building you know, a sort of a cohesive group. Like if you're going to work as a team, you can't just throw people together and expect them to get on. You know, you have to, you have to actually put the work into that. You know, you have to, like drama games, I think from the outside, they can look quite silly. But I think when you do them, there is like a purpose behind each of them. And especially when it comes to like team building, they're, you know, you're sort of all in that together. So it really fosters team spirit. Yeah, I would I would have to agree with you there because whenever I studied at Albright College, I actually mm-hmm. gained a scholarship to spend the year in America and study. And the college I went to was a college that was well known for their performing arts department and for their fashion department. So mm-hmm. one of the modules that I actually decided to study was uh, music management. And I kind of wanted to push the boundaries of what I felt comfortable with and decided that it was something that I had an interest in but would never have been comfortable in my kind of own surroundings in Northern Ireland to go, I'm going to study this or I'm going to try it out. And I think yeah. when I, I think whenever you're in a different context, you kind of just feel a little bit more secure because nobody knows you. And mm-hmm. one of the one of the kind of assessments or one of the units, part of the unit that really stands out to me was when we had to work in groups and they put us into randomly assigned groups. And I was in a group of three and then we were actually given an artist in the local area to manage. And mm-hmm. we had to work together to create um, the rehearsal schedule for the artist. We had to also link in and look at tour, get our tour plans and tour schedules. And we had to look for promotion and then we had to secure venues. And it wasn't until we were kind of thrown in at the deep end, but within that kind of group dynamic that you build contacts and you build relationships with people that years down the line that you still reconnect with and I think that's a big part is that networking where you get to know people you know that you I suppose university is one of those experiences 
situations where, you know, you do make friends for life, but then also, you know, you make acquaintances that they don't stay in your life, but that's, I suppose, the same with everything. But you definitely, you get, you know, you're introduced to people who you you normally wouldn't, you would never have encountered before. And, you know, you do have that connection to them now. And in terms of some of the productions that you were involved in, I actually remember thinking back on the good old days of university, <laughs> going, uh, going to see you in a production. And I can't remember the name of the production. You can help me with this one. But there were there was definitely mops, mops involved. There was mops involved. I think what you're talking about is we did a thing called Rough Cuts, which was where you take rough cuts of various players and groups put them on. And I we did um, a thing from Girls in the Big Picture by Mary Jones. Very good. Which is another great experience because one of my lecturers or one of my tutors at Queen's, um, she was actually um, assigned to me at one point. Her name is Brenda Winter. And you'd be familiar with the company that she helped found. She was very good friends with Mary Jones back in the day. And they, you know, they worked a lot of productions together. And you would be familiar with a company that she found called Replay. Like they go in and they do school productions. Yes, yeah. I think probably everybody in Northern Ireland has at some point seen a Replay production. And if they haven't, they will before they leave their education system. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And they should. And they, should. they should. As they should, exactly. Yeah. And then after you've kind of completed your, you know, your drama degree or your education within drama, obviously people need to, you know, refresh their memory, refresh their knowledge, keep up to date with new skills, new types of theatre, new styles and genres. But what kind of other areas and out of that friendship group and out of that circle of people that you know, where have they went on from this after they've qualified from Queen's University? Um, no, as I say, a number of people, ha- well, a number of people have gone into education. Okay. Um, be that like, you know, a sort of a straight doing a PGCE, becoming a teacher role. Some people have gone into, um, I know someone's working with the Lyric Theatre in their um, education department. They go around providing resources for schools and communities. Um, some people have gone into stage management and directing. And as I say, some have gone on to theatre schools and then are now working actors. So basically, a degree in drama can open up the door to many different areas. And I suppose when you think about it, no matter what area you go in in terms of professionalism and for your job or your career, having that drama mm-hmm. degree or having that experience in drama at any level will help benefit you because we're all trying to learn communication skills and drama is all about communication and being able to get your point across. So therefore any kind of experience or any education in drama, whether it's from GCSE, A-level to degree level, or even a a six-week course that you do or a two-day course, it's going to be beneficial to you no matter what you end up doing. Oh, absolutely. I think above anything else, um, I mean, (laughs) you could argue that um, drama just teaches you to lie. It's all about playing pretend. That's but the, quote, I think the quote, definitely... quote, quote of the day, children, quote of the day, <laughs> drama teaches you to lie. I think above anything else it does, it teaches you communication skills, it teaches you teamwork skills, it shows you how to build a team. You know, you see it now a lot is that there's a lot of like drama activities now that um, 
people actually do for you know like corporate environments where they they want to do team building exercises because again they're expected to work as a team but they've never built the team they've yeah. never found out how to work with one another or how to communicate one another yeah so moving we've, we've kind of been looking at the past going back to uh-huh your university days and my university cool. days and if we bring it right into the present and what's going on in terms of performing arts at the moment it's going to be quite hard for students um, that are wanting to pursue a career in performing arts to access actual rehearsals or go to actual workshops but in the current COVID-19 pandemic a lot of different theatre companies have actually uh, change the way they make the material available to the public. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just wondering, have you come across anything that you would advise students to keep an eye out for or to get involved in um, at this moment? Oh, there's loads of things. The amount, the sheer amount of resources that are being made available at this moment in time are astounding. You know, you're having... You know, you're getting access to the live Broadway recordings that you never would have seen. You're having access to, the, you know, the National Theatre are, they are live streaming every Thursday, nine o'clock, they're live streaming a new play on their YouTube channel and it's available all week. You know, you get to see a live performance from one of the biggest theatres in the nation. Like, that's incredible that you have that opportunity and... um I know that I have been tearing your ear off about, <laughs> I absolutely cannot pronounce the name of this theatre. And it's terrible that I can't pronounce the name of this theatre, but it's the, let me just. Here we go. Drum, just, dr- drum roll, please. <laughs> do, 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 do. That, that's my drum roll. The, the show, show Terrible. I'm sorry. It's a German <laughs> theatre. Terrible. It's a German theatre and they are, um, they're known as being one of the, the most innovative theatres in the world. So they have been recording things for a very, very long time. And every night, like literally every single day at 6pm, which is 5pm our time, they release a video that's available to 12 o'clock, which is 11 o'clock our time. So from 5 to 11 every day, you have access to something from their archives. Um, and you know you might be going back as far back as like the 1980s or as modern as you know the last couple of years and some unfairness are only in German audio which you know is a German theatre that's not surprising but quite a lot of them have various subtitles available well even closer to home there's there's quite a lot available and one of the things that uh, popped up in my news feed was actually that the, that there's opera lessons available and uh, there's a local opera singer Andrew Erwin and he's actually offering free opera lessons where well, you that's can incredible. I know so you can book in like a 30 minute slot and he'll give you some feedback and help you um uh, because he's ca- had to cancel his gigs and all his different yes. shows so he's doing this through the medium of or the median of Zoom. And I just think it's absolutely amazing that we have such talent on our own doorstep. And there is oh, such yeah, a, there, there's so many people opening up and saying, listen, 
I'm here to help. Let's get involved, mm-hmm. the community spirit. And, you know, I think for anyone who's a singer or any musicians out there, this would be uh, an amazing opportunity to, to actually look into. So definitely look into that. That's um, Andrew Irwin and Romana Mann, who is an opera singer. Should we sign you up, Tara? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I can't wait to hear. <laughs> what about you, Tara? Moving forward, have you any... What about me? Have you any plans or any hopes in terms of drama or performing arts? Would you like to maybe look at any different courses or are there anything areas that really interest you that you'd like to get involved in in the future? Um, I would consider doing a master's degree. I'm not 100% sure what in but I would consider doing it you have somewhat put me off it (laughs) (laughs) but I would definitely consider doing it you haven't put me off it entirely so no I think I I have my good days and I have my bad days with it it's like um yeah it's like a friend that you constantly fall out with but I'm hoping to get there in the end it's hard work but it's worthwhile that's that's the second quote of the day from Tara. Well, listen, Tara, thank you so much for joining us today. And um, we hope to hear from you soon. Thank you for having me. Stay safe. Bye. We hope you are enjoying this episode of the podcast. But before we move on to discuss all things literature with Michelle Courtney, maybe it's time to make another cup of tea. Hello everyone, we're joined by Michelle Courtney, a librarian branch manager who has a passion for literature for both young and the old audiences out there and anyone in between. Hello Michelle. Hello John, delighted to be here today. So Michelle, have you got your cup of tea ready to go? Yes. (laughs) Uh, And how do you take your tea? I take my tea very strong, two sugars and a little bit of milk. There we go. For anyone who wants to make a cup of tea for Michelle when she joins you. So Michelle, let us know, what have you been reading? Um, At the minute, I'm reading a book that that I absolutely love called The Heart's Invisible Furies by John Boyne. It's um, quite a big book. I thought it was going to take me a while to get through it, but... Out of 600 pages, I do believe I'm about halfway through after three days. And what, what's the main kind of message of the whole story of the book? Is it a fiction or non-fiction? It's a fiction book. I would usually be a non-fiction reader, but this is a fiction book. It's um, set in Ireland. It's a very interesting book. Um, I would say that... It is quite literary, but I don't want to put anybody off by saying that because anyone can read it and enjoy it. But you do get the feeling when you're reading it that you're reading something deeper than just your general novel. It's definitely, I don't want to give too much away, but it's following a man from Ireland. Uh, John Boyne's an Irish author. He's from Dublin. It's following a man from Ireland um, who was born in 1945 and it follows him throughout his entire life. I think he dies in 2015 and he is a gay man in Ireland and it is really a study almost of Ireland and Irish society and the attitudes to homosexuality and to um, 
illegitimate children and it's really sort of a cultural study of Ireland and how society attitudes changes and develops over the years and it ends obviously I haven't read the end yet but I know that it ends after the 2015 marriage referendum so um, I'm currently in the I think I'm in the 70s at the minute so it kind of it explores then the whole taboo and cultural norms and their views on kind of topics that at that time would have been a little bit of a taboo yet then it kind of springs forward into near enough modern day yeah, well, at the minute where I am in the book, he's um, a 28-year-old man, living in a gay man living in Dublin, when homosexuality is illegal, and the Gardaí are actively seeking out offenders to arrest them. So that's the challenge that he's presented with. So like, what, fe- what feelings then has this book evoked for yourself as a reader? Um, I can safely say that you will laugh and cry during this book. Um, but it says something about John Boyne as a writer that it, it, it's very, very tragic in places, but the tragedy might be condensed into three sentences and that is more than enough because you understand it completely, it touches you completely, but at the same time, it's not like you're reading a depressing it is very yeah. uplifting and the, the mastery of this book and the reason that I read half of it in three days is that it's very, very funny. But that's, um, the, that's the Irish culture as well coming through. That is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But no, it's a very enjoyable book and very highly recommended, even though I haven't finished it yet. So what age group would that kind of book be um, towards, do you think? This is an, it is an adult book. Um, and there's definitely, like, it can be quite almost crude in parts. Okay. So I wouldn't be, for example, probably recommending it to my mother-in-law. But, um, <laughs> you know, there's probably no reason why not either. But um, she it maybe, is crude, she maybe, crude maybe she's, uh, maybe she's read it already. <laughs> she could well have. She's a very avid reader. But um, John Boyne actually writes... Uh, children's books as well I think he's written maybe as many children's books as he had adults he's the author of The Boy in the Striped Pajamas it's probably his most famous book there you go so I'm sure that many people who are listening will know him from that more so than anything else and again touching on very kind of taboo subjects absolutely yeah he seems he doesn't shy away from that um, at all and funnily enough I only learned yesterday that after a book that you were talking about um, John Boyne, one of his latest books for, well, it could be a year old now, maybe maybe more, um, for children, is My Brother's Name is Jessica, which okay. I have read. Sounds interesting. That kind of brings us nicely into the book that I wanted to discuss with you, which is called George by Alex Gino. And the interesting thing about this book was that I actually picked it up in San Francisco when I took part earlier in the year in a a teaching conference where we were sent with with the help of the British Council across to San Francisco to learn about LGBTQ plus inclusion in schools and how that can then be implemented back in Northern Ireland. And one of the things that they've actually implemented is the use of literature as a way in which to educate and bring around discussion of the topics that students or and teachers may find difficult to initiate in the classroom. And this book 
I, I read it in the space of, I kind of read it in little sections, little kind of 10 minute, 20 minute sections over the space of a week and a half because I didn't want to finish the book. I didn't want yeah. to put it down. I didn't want it to end because I got so involved in it and was thinking about the characters and creating my own visual images in my head. And it is geared towards teenagers, but I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, and it's all about the main character, George. and her exploration of becoming the woman that she feels she is because she feels as if she's transgender. Um, Well, she knows she's transgender, but the interesting thing about the way the book's actually written in terms of the literacy of it and the wording is that when anyone else is talking about George, such as family or teachers, they refer to George as he. Um, But then when George is talking in first person or the the author showing the insight to George's thoughts. George is talking about her, herself. So it's she, so it's the chosen pronoun. So I find it very difficult because as you're reading, as you're talking about, um, or you're listening to the mother and the father and, you know, brothers or friends at school saying he and him. And then all of a sudden when it's George talking, it's she and her and that's how she sees herself and it's all it's about a very important change distinction to have in the book yeah but tricky for a reader yeah and I think it challenged my thoughts as well and my understanding of the topic which at the moment in a northern Irish context is still quite not talked about it's a little bit hard hard for us to access unless you're directly involved with it or you have your own experiences yeah. with it so therefore it is new to culture in that respect where it's only become awareness is only becoming I suppose we're at the beginning of it really of the uh, the start of the awareness of it society is adapting to it now so it's really a learning curve it really it's really well crafted and it's done in a way that it's totally accessible for children and it allows any teachers or educators or parents out there to gently gently get the message across that there's people in the world that are all different shapes, sizes, sexuality, and the idea of male and female and gender as well is something that is evolving in terms of our understanding. And I, I would recommend that there for anyone, adult or teenager, that would like to challenge their understanding and maybe to broaden their use of voc- vocabulary within reading as well. What can parents expect and what can parents do in relation to gaining access to the library services in this kind of climate? Well, at the minute, the libraries are putting um, a great deal of effort into offering online services. Now, we've always, well, not always, the last couple of years, we have had e-books and e-magazines available online for free for library users. So you can use your... um, any tablet or device that you have to download library apps and access those for free. So um, the figures that we're seeing from the library, the the download of um, our online services has increased dramatically, which is good. But I still think a lot of people aren't aware that it's there and that it's free. And they also subscribe to all the newspapers. So even people who are having difficulty getting out to get their newspapers, you can access them through your through a device if you download the app. Um, a lot of managers as well, libraries now 
have taken a turn away almost from um books it's not um it's we're focused a lot on the events and the activities that we offer as well in branch so that's yeah. been that's been quite a challenge um but what we're doing is we're trying to do it do it online post it to facebook there's a new library's youtube channel so different librarians myself included <laughs> are recording story times rhythm and rhymes and posting those to um, our various channels i've put mine on the warren point library facebook page and i'm actually due to put up another video as well and um they're all available through um the library's youtube channel so it's just really small things that we're still trying to keep people engaged and in terms of like if i wanted to access the services in the library i myself don't have a library card right now do i need is that going to hinder me or is there some way i in which i can still get the access to the library services even though i can't go in to sign up in a branch you can so if you go to the library's website which is libriesni.org.uk you will be able to sign up for basically an online um membership and you'll be given a number to allow you to access the um e-audiobooks and or e-books audiobooks and magazines and newspapers and then once the branches reopen you can call in then um with your id number or whatever it is and we'll be able to issue you um a physical libraries ni card but um yeah you can absolutely do it online libraries in branch mm-hmm. um are offer newspapers and not all of them but um offer a number of newspapers but now the libraries have subscribed online so people can access them and um, saving a lot of money in general anyway and um, regardless of COVID. It does sound like there's a wide range of services that are still available uh, amongst for, for any readers out there, parents, children, elderly who maybe want to or cannot access their local news agents to pick up the newspaper, magazines for students. They can even log on, download and read magazines that link to their maybe area of study at school. If it's photography, there's photography magazines, geography as well. So there's there's so much out there. All your history magazines are on there as well. Um, there's a, a great range, I have to say. Yeah, and that's not even limited to your to your book yeah. listen Michelle thank you so much for joining us today it's been great catching up with you and we look forward to hearing more about what you're reading and what books you recommend brilliant John thank you very much goodbye Michelle bye John Well, folks, that's the end of the first episode of Performing Arts with a Cup of Tea. We hope you've enjoyed exploring a little bit of performing arts and a little bit of education and that you'll join us again very soon as we delve deeper into the world of performing arts and education. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Stay safe and make sure to have a cup of tea or two.